Hello, welcome to the Savage Southerner podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Paul H, and we are today talking all about... Queen. Yes, the band, not the Royals, just in case anyone gets really fucking confused. But no, yeah, I am of course talking about Queen. The, uh, in, in my humble opinion, the, the greatest uh, rock band ever to have rocked. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal. One of my earliest memories was listening to Queen's Greatest Hits on one of the old classic um, cassette recorders. We had backlight in the early 80s. Um, it had like the cas- re- rectangular shaped box. You had the cassette bit at the bottom, which you put in and you could record. Obviously, the little record was the red button that you played record and play at the same time. And the top half of the rectangular box was a speaker. And I remember the first time listening to that. Obviously, it was greatest hits. So the track one was Bohemian Rhapsody. And that blew me out of the water when I first heard that. It really did. Unluckily for me, Queen done their last gig in 86. I'd have only been about three three or four years old then, so I've never, never got the chance to actually see them perform live. Um, would I want to see them live now, if I'm perfectly honest? I don't think I would. Uh, with no disrespect to Brian May or Roger Taylor, or, or even any disrespect to Adam Lambert, I don't know the guy, I mean, but obviously when you've, when you've seen footage, I mean, even if, even if it's not, lo- even if it's not like there in the flesh, but if you've seen, like, Freddie Mercury on stage uh, singing, I don't know, fucking anything in the world ever, and then there's someone else singing it, it's just like, uh, it's, it's not it's not the same. I'm, let's be perfectly honest, it's just not the same. But I'll talk about that more when I talk about the members individually. I figured what I'd do first is I'd start with like the origins of the band and then I'll go through each individual member, go through a little bit of a uh, little bit of back history of what I know. I don't know everything, but I do know snippets. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm well, no, I would. I'm the biggest Queen fan I know, you know. <laughs> You know, um, as I say, unfortunately, I was too young to ever see them live. But um, I have met Brian May. Uh, that was a book signing. Uh, he'd written a book on a uh, stereography. But I'll talk about that later when I talk about um, when I talk about the band members individually, as I said before. Okay, so the beginning. How it how it began was uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor. We're in a three-piece band called Smile. They had a guy called Tim Staffel, who was on bass and vocals. And uh, they were... they were, He had a mate as well, a friend who went to the same art college as him. It was a guy called Freddy Bolsara. Now, you, you can tell... You know who that's going to be, don't you? Yeah. Uh, changed his name from Bolsara to Mercury... Um, around aroundish the same sort of time that Queen came performed, um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So uh, yeah, Freddie Work we would come along to the um, uh, the Smile gigs. He was doing some uh, he had some music like you know 
bits going on here and there. Uh, what was the band called? I don't know if it was the band or it was just the stage name of Larry. Uh, it was a band called Larry Lurex. And he had lots of advice, if you like, for Smile. He was like saying, well, you, you know, considering you've got like how awesome musicians you are, you should try and find a way of like being more, be a bit more elaborate with your stage presentation and stuff like that. And, well, basically, Tim went, didn't he? Obviously, Tim went <laughs> uh, in the end. Um, so, Freddie Mercury came in as a singer. Uh, they, uh, they they shif- they shuffled around with a couple of bassists. There was a couple of bassists uh, before John Deacon eventually joined, which I think was in 1970. Uh, what was it, 71? I think it was 71, actually, come to that. But, uh, yeah, uh, Freddie Mercury came up with the name Queen. Uh, they weren't, I, I think they were a bit um, not entirely sure, but it was like, you know, the images that you could associate with the name Queen, of, of, be, of being something as, basically, the, the name Queen, they could go as elaborate as they wanted to and be as, like, you know, I mean, this was, the I say, this is 1970, you know, everything, you know, crazy day, the cra- crazy days of rock, really, you know, or glam, you know, you have like your glam metal is just starting up. Uh, there's Zeppelin, there's Black Sabbath, but, you know, the, the um, uh, yeah, I'd say glam metal would, was, re- was uh, kicking up its heels, its big fucking six inch high heels at this point. So, um, yeah, there was, and like I say, Freddie Mercury had the uh, idea of, how to sell the how to visually sell the sell the show uh as well with the musicianship that uh went with them so yes john deacon john deacon came in uh one of the selling points uh they done him with john deacon was that he was training as a electrical engineer and there's a nice a nice little nit bit of information that goes with that is Brian May's dad was an electrical engineer by trade. So I don't know if, like, the idea of having you know, someone um, s- similar, like, um, um, hobbies, if you like, as Brian May's dad might have sold it to him. But uh, but he, he, proved, he proved his salt. He definitely proved his salt, especially, I think it was in 72, when he built the, uh, the Deaky Amp. Now I'll go on about Brian May's setup later when I talk about Brian May more thoroughly. Um, he mostly used the uh, AC Vox 30s. Uh, that was his amp of choice for his guitar. But he also did do a couple of tunes, quite a few, with um, John Deacon's amp. And uh, the story behind that is he was walking past a skip on the way home and he saw a load of wires poking out. And what he'd done, he take he took the circuit from this old stereo radio you know whichever you know a broken he took a broken fucking radio um put the circuit board from that into a a speaker from a like a a hi-fi system speaker and ran it off a nine volt battery and uh it um it was used a lot to create a lot of the orchestra sounds that uh queen would put out Uh, definitely in their earlier albums I mean, they didn't. They didn't use a synthesizer, I think, until I 
think it was the game, the album, the game. Um, yeah, yeah, the game. So, yeah, for the, the most, the, they actually had a message on all of their album sleeves saying, uh, no keyboards were used during the recordings. You know, because uh, people couldn't believe with the, with the sounds that Brian May could put, was putting out of his guitar was just all guitar. They they thought you know there's got to be some like keyboard synthesizers playing in with this, but there weren't. It was just Brian May's guitar wizardry, and uh, occasionally the use of the Deke amp as well. Now I think John Deke he gets a bit. I think he gets overlooked quite a lot I mean he was the quietest member of the group um, after Queen came in came back in 97 uh, that's the original three members obviously uh, we lost Mercury in 91 but uh, yeah when um, they all th John Deacon came back on the bass to do a song called uh, uh, No One But You brackets uh, only, the good die, only The Good Die Young which is a beautiful song but uh, I'll talk about that later. But that was his. That was the last thing. I mean, he came. At, they all got together in '92 for the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, and then Brian, and then um, John stepped away. And but then like I say he came back in '97, and after that he's stepped away totally. He's he's not came. He's not come back for any of the projects that uh, Brian and Roger have done. Obviously, they they done a thing with uh, Paul Rogers first, Queen plus Paul Rogers, and uh, what they what's what they've been doing currently and uh, still doing. Well, get COVID out of the fucking way. Um, there's uh, they they've teamed up with uh, Adam Lambert, and they do uh, they're doing shows with him. But uh, anyway, I digress. I'll go back onto that a bit later. But I made a, I made a list, and this is look this is. This isn't even every song. See that? There we go. Oh, <laughs> I'm saying see this. If you're only listening to this on the podcast, you won't fucking see anything. Well, some of this is going to be on YouTube, so go have a look at it on YouTube if you want to see it. But what it basically is, it's a list of uh, every song off every uh, studio album from Queen, excluding... Um, the Miracle and Innuendo and uh, Made in Heaven album. Um, uh, yeah, there's reasons for that, and I'll talk about that uh, probably after when I when I talk about Freddie. But uh, yeah, for now though, John, yes, I'll say often overshadowed, but like I said, as well as you know building a fucking amp out of a load of junk. Um, he did write. He did write a few songs. Um, he wrote. Uh, what was it? Uh, Misfire. Not a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people are going to know that, unless they have like the studio albums and they've listened to it. Misfire. What's that? I do believe that is off the Sheer Heart Attack album. Yeah. Uh, this one everyone should know anyway, because uh, uh, it's uh, "You're My Best Friend." Well, you'll notice with John, a lot of his stuff is more. Is more gentle and would be more like you know pop if you like if you put it into more of a pop pop category like love song category definitely more more radio friendly than a lot of other things that they've done but um again i'll uh, i'll go on as i read on 
But yeah, you're my best friend, which I think it's just it's just a lovely song, and it is about his wife or his girlfriend at the time, or I don't I don't think he was married at that point. But uh, it's it's a beautiful it's a it's a, it's a lovely song. Uh, the next one I've got is a uh, spread your wings, and that is a beautiful again. <laughs> the thing is, when you when you've got Freddie Mercury singing your fucking songs, it doesn't matter what you write, it's gonna sound fucking awesome. But no, that is a good song. He's a uh, spread your wings as that's beautiful as a it's it's a is the thing is it's a powerful song as well and uh yeah yeah that's a good song uh who needs you who needs oh i don't need who needs you do, do, do. yeah you're not gonna know that if i don't <laughs> unless you've got the album uh if you can't beat them join them in only seven days Back chat and a song called Cool Cat, which he uh, wrote with Freddie. Now here is I, I like this one. I like this. I like this one because it shuts up all the haters, all well, the haters. But you know all the people that do mug John Deacon off, you know, because everyone thought Freddie wrote this. You know, people who were, the narrow-minded lot thought Freddie wrote this uh, because oh, it's about breaking free. Oh, it must have been Freddie talking about sexuality or something. And yeah, I want to break free was actually written by John Deacon. So fair fucking play to you, John, because uh, that that that's a big that was a big hit for Queen. And uh, over in South uh, South America, the South American crowd, they took it very seriously, and it became like a an anthem for them uh, at the um, anti-apartheid regime that was going on in the time. And uh, yeah, they were they they had a thing with that because obviously they were famous for the video. The the Yanks fucking hated the video because it was men dressing up in drag. They didn't understand it at all. And uh, they used to recreate that. Well, Freddie would recreate that and come out wearing his like drag uniform uh, for when that song came on. And they done it in one of these countries where that song was like a it was like a freedom fighter song for them. And they got so fucking wound up. They thought he was, like, taking the piss out of a song which was about them fighting for their rights. And I think they ended up ended up throwing bottles that were on him at the stage and stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a, a fucking great song. Fucking great song. Uh, One Year of Love. Uh, that's off the... Um, what album's that off? Fucking hell, I should know that. I do know that. Of uh, A Kind of Magic. There we go. Uh, there's another couple of that. Um, Pain is so close to pleasure. That's off uh, Kind of Magic. Another one again, co and that was co-written with Freddie Mercury, along with the next one, which is Friends Will Be Friends. Now, that again, that's, that's a belter of a song. That is a belter of a song. And uh, yeah, co-written with Freddie. And here's the kicker. Here is the song. Now, this is I mean, Brian May's... This is pretty much a Brian May quote. Uh, this is the song that when this song went like triple platinum, triple fucking platinum in America, at that moment, at that specific moment in time, Queen were musically the biggest thing fucking globally. Untouchable. At that point, they were untouchable. Because America's always that country, in it? You know. Especially way back in the day, you know, in the 
sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, and oh, if you haven't broken America, you haven't done it, and all, all that malarkey. And they hadn't quite yet hit America. And then, uh, yeah, of course, Brian May, uh, in Brian May, yeah, like I say, Brian May was said that was it. That was their moment, and it was John Deegan. Awesome, absolutely awesome song. The only thing it did do, uh, it did make Freddie go a bit, um, thinking maybe uh, Queen should put more like discoy songs in their um, albums, or with that sort of like that that more rhythm and bluesy type beat to it. But yeah, that didn't quite pan out too great. Uh, yeah, the follow-up album from uh, the game, which was the uh, album that Another One Bites the Dust, the Dust came out of, was a uh, Hot Space, and yeah, there was a bit of like maybe a bit too funky discoy type songs on there. But uh, saying that, it still it still isn't a shit album. There's a lot there's a lot of people that do have a lot of hate for that album there because. Oh, they sold out. They done this. They done that. And you know, on that album, they another one, fucking under pressure came off that album. So it was like, if you want to call an album shit, make it completely shit. Don't say here's a shit album with a fucking awesome duet of Queen and David Bowie. <laughs> you know, because people, it's like don't, it's like don't find like. Well, three or four tracks were a bit very unqueen for Queen. But it's like you got a so say you got like ten tracks to a fucking album. Four of them, four of them were shit. So okay, well maybe half the album's not that good. Fucking skip the song and listen to the good stuff. Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. So there you go. So there's a, there's a bit of a Deacon legendariness. Um, he's yeah, very very. Very, very overlooked, very overlooked member of the band, and yeah, I mean, he was a shy boy when he came in. He was the last member of, he was the last member to join the what would be the future lineup of Queen, and uh, yeah, he kept himself in the background quite a bit. But you see, in some like the videos further down the line, he starts throwing, starts throwing some shapes, putting some moves in with the bass, you know, climb, climbed out of his shell a bit, you know, and as, as I say, why not? You know why not? Uh, son, I think someone probably. I think you know he probably got. Maybe maybe it was the wife. Maybe the wife gave him a good kick up the ass and said, you know, you're the second half of the rhythm section of the fucking biggest band in the world. Give yourself a touch of credit. All right. So I'm gonna say I'm I'm not I'm gonna say the wife. <laughs> I reckon the wife told him. Right. <laughs> anyway, we'll move over to the other part. I say the other part of the rhythm section. Roger Taylor. Um, yeah, a uh, fucking awesome, awesome drummer. Quoted as having a sound, you know. You see people, you know I mean, you Google it for fuck's sake. Don't just take my word for it. And people will say known for having his his own unique drumming sound, because he does. I think I, another thing I remember, I think Roger Taylor saying uh, Roger Taylor. I'm talking about Roger Taylor for fuck's sake. When Brian May said when they first met, um, Roger Taylor, him and Tim Staffel, when they were forming Smile. Um, it was the first time they'd se- they'd seen a drummer like tuning up the uh, the skins on the uh, on the drums. So ju- to anyone who's not sure, um, the the sounds of the drums. It's not just the size of the drum that makes the sound. It's the tension 
which is how how actually it's how much you're stretching what's called the skin of the drum. And uh, yeah, they so it was the first time they'd seen a drummer tuning the the pegs around the the drums to get the sound out of it, which probably made them think, fucking hell, this guy means business, and he did, and he did. Uh, he went to a he went to college as well, and he studied dentistry. I can only assume that was to be a dentist. Why else would you? Well, yeah, why else would you study dentistry if it were to be a, excuse I to be a dentist? So as well as his unique sound as a drummer, he also is a fucking good singer. It's uh, uh I remember because uh, I looked up what the posh term for it. It's a it's a fat. It's called a falsetto voice, which basically is that it's it's singing in that higher pitch than which he could sing. I mean, again, e- examples. You know, I mean, obviously, the the quickest, the the best example. The if if. Every, I mean, if no one knows no other Queen song in the world, you know Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, in the operatic section with the Galileo, well, that's him doing that high Galileo bit, and the rest and the other bits, all the voices that they put together to. Oh, that song, that that fucking song. I could probably, well, people have written books about that fucking song. But yeah, that's one example. But other examples are in some of the songs that he has written and that he has sung on. Uh, Modern Times Rock and Roll. That's a good one. Another thing I've noticed about Roger Taylor's choice of um, songs is they're the real, like, rock and roll. Because, of course, rock and roll, it wasn't always that heavy. Rock and roll didn't really start life that heavy, if you like. I mean, you wouldn't say that the Beatles would say a heavy band, but they were a rock and roll band. It was before rock sort of like ventured off into like these other, all the other weird genres like prog rock, glam rock, uh, whatever else, you know, types of rock. I'm sure there's a Celtic rock, punk rock, you know, rock rock. Uh, yeah, all of that. But he, but he had, oh, I'll get to the fucking point. He had a real crisp, I think it's that high pitched, almost like almost like Rod Stewart type. Uh, who else? Who else would you? I'd say could be similar to uh, Brian Adams. That that sort of like high raspy raspy voice. And uh, yeah, a good example of that is Modern Times Rock and Roll. Uh, <laughs> this is what this was off their um this is off a uh, Night of the Opera, which is like one of their greatest albums. Uh, there's a song called I'm in Love with My Car. If you haven't heard it, heard it. It's got a real, it's all, it's got a real swing style to it, and uh, again, it's just that voice that his his voice was suited for rock. It really, really is. Uh, well, other songs I've got on on the list here: "The Loser in the End," "Tenant Funster," uh, or oh, "Sheer Heart Attack." Hey, <laughs> yeah, he done that. Heart Attack. That's a that's a brilliant fucking song. Uh, Fight from the Inside, that's another one that he sung. Fun It, yeah, he sung that one. Uh, More of That Jazz, oh, that's off their album, uh, the title Jazz. That's a brilliant album, and again, that's just it's a fucking awesome song. Action This Day, Calling All Girls. Ah, here we go, yeah, this is, a, this is another one of the big ones. Radio Gaga, yeah, that's one of Roger's. Thank you, Rog. A Kind of Magic. Again, thank you, Rog. Uh, don't lose your head. 
Thank you, Rog. Uh, Rocket and coming soon. Again, they're not. I don't think they're as well known as I'd like them to be, because they are awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's uh that's the little uh little uh, snippets of uh Roger Taylor awesomeness. Uh, I'm actually reaching up to 25 minutes here. So what I'm going to do, if you've been watching this on YouTube, thank you very fucking much. But because all my recording is done off my mobile phone, I'm going to stop. Because I used to do loads of recordings on my mobile phone and it broke on me. So I don't want to run the risk of that happening again. Well, you need to get some decent fucking recording equipment is what I need. But uh, I haven't got any. So for now, I'm going to stop the recording of the stop the video recording of this on YouTube, but I'm going to carry on with the rest of this on the podcast. So if you've just been watching this on YouTube, feel free to jump over onto Spotify and you'll be able to listen to the rest of this. It's probably going to go on for a while. I haven't even I haven't even I haven't even I mean talked you through Brian yet, you know. And then we're going to go get the Freddy, and that's going to go on for fucking ever. Right, so, that, yeah, this is it. So, the recording is going off. So, now, if you've been watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. You are awesome. And uh, if you want the rest, hop on over to Spotify now. Okay, right. So, if you're still listening on Spotify, we're still here. It's all awesome. Uh, if you've just jumped over from... Li- listening to us and watching us on YouTube. I hope you have enjoyed yourself and uh, get strapped in because it's time to talk about Mr. Brian May. Now, as I was saying, as I said about uh, John Deacon uh, doing being training in electric engineering, uh, there being a little link there with Brian May's dad, who was a electrical engineer. Uh, done a lot of uh, works with uh, radio stuff uh, during the war and uh, made pretty much everything electrical in the May house, I think, was made by his, by uh, <laughs> Brian May's dad. And uh, among their um, achievements are... What did he study? Brian May was actually a phys- uh, physics... So he was studying physics and science. He's an incredibly intelligent man. Uh, he now, of course, he finished off his PhD in physics. So he is now, obviously, you can put doctor in front of his name if he so wishes. And why would he not wish to? Uh, you know, you do all the effort. You may as well, you know, may as well get to sing about it. Uh, no pun intended. But what I really want to talk about is Brian May's guitar. Yes. The Red Special. That's what it's known uh, by us lot, the fans. Um, I think may- maybe, he's, maybe he uses the term The Red Special for it as well. Normally, Brian May's personal terms for his guitar are The Old Lady and uh, The Fireplace, <laughs> which will soon become apparent. Now, I do believe the years of construction for this guitar were 1963. And they they finally finished it off in 1965. Now, the why why the fireplace? Because the body of that guitar was made out of a I mean, couple of hundred year olds 
fire mantelpiece. So, you know, clues in the name there. And, um, yeah, and <laughs> bits of junk that were around the, the maze garage. And they pieced together easily, probably... I'd it, Van Halen's Frankenstrap might come close, but I don't believe he made every single component of that guitar by hand, which of course Brian May did with it. And I mean, it's not just the look. I mean, it's it's a, it's, it's got an original. It's not just the look of that guitar. It's the sounds of his guitar. It's the everything of that guitar. You know, it's um all the little the little nit little nitty gritty pieces like originally the pickups were pickups that he fucking made he did change them over he wasn't because he wasn't too happy with um i think it was something to do with the sounds See, brian may was pretty obsessed with uh the use of feedback uh on guitar if anyone's not sure what that means if you've got say an uh say you've got an electric guitar and you stood next to your amplifier and you bang out a big chord and you then turn your guitar so that it's facing the amplifier instead of facing the crowd, you get like a changing sound, like a sound, and that's called feedback. Uh, you want a good example of feedback again? Uh, Jimi Hendrix. It always boils down to Jimi Hendrix. Uh, watch some live Hendrix stuff, and you'll see some good examples there. And uh, Jeff Beck was uh, the man who um, Brian May got heavily into the use of feedback from. Because again, he saw him like live playing that on stage, and he'd see him turn the guitar to the amp, and you'd get those strange change of sounds. And uh, yeah, yeah. So um, along with uh, on and off switches for each of the pickups, <clears throat> which he did, t he changed his he he um he went to a company called Burns and to get some three Burns Trisonic pickups, which he put in place of his homemade ones because I think he was just uh, like I say, the, the, he wasn't getting where he wanted to with the feedback and uh, so yeah, the Burns Trisonic ones done that uh, other little uh, nip bits, I mean he used one of his old, <laughs> one of his mum's sewing needles, knit, knitting needles uh, <laughs> played its own little part in the uh, tremolo arm uh, of the guitar along with the uh, fret inlays were used a uh, mother of pearl buttons from uh, Brian May's mum's little uh, button basket. <laughs> that, uh, I don't know if any of our American friends might be listening in. That's very much an English thing that English mothers did. I know my mum did. She had, a, she had a button box. I think she still has. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, used to, something to play with, play counters with the buttons and well, Brian May <laughs> decided to use them for fret inlays, uh, and why not? He even made—I think he made—he made a little, um, a little tool for shaping the frets for the uh, on the uh, fret bends, getting the them bent into you know, you know, in in the right sort of shape to fit on the guitar. It's something he was uh, one of the things he was quite proud of, and uh, I think they. But what else has been used in that guitar? Motorbike springs were made in the guitar. Um, something I swear a bicycle, something to do with a bicycle saddle spring was used in it. It's literally 
it's incredible. I mean, there is a there is a book on how the guitar was built, and if anyone is like interested in like instruments, obviously especially guitars, I'd you know I'm I'm not endorsed to say this, but get it and buy it because it's unbelievable to look at. And uh, yeah, as I, as well, oh yeah, as well as on and off switches for the pickups, that was it. He had what it's called what phase switches, and so. As well as if they were turned on, you could put a phase switch on them and it just changes it that little bit. Gives it a that extra little change in the sound of the notes that are played. And uh, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal guitar. Uh, I, do have a, I do have a repli uh, Burns replica of uh, Brian May's guitar. There have been different replicas made. A company called Guild, uh, they've done a few. Uh, but uh, didn't carry on. I think the only company. Oh, well, I know Burns. That's the only. That that's the one that's in like um, well, well, what you'd call mass production. Definitely the easier one to get hold of, uh, than any of the others. Uh, he did have it. He did have some work done on uh, the on his Red Special. He had it uh tarted up a bit by a guy called Greg Fryer, who is an Australian guitar wizard uh, I mean nothing was changed that I'm aware of I think it was just a case of like the pickups were taken off and given a polish and put, back, put back on um, so yeah it was just a matter of tarting up the guitar they don't, I mean this is it this, this guitar is still used today I don't know about right now but you know, you know what I mean it's still you bear, you bear in mind this is a guitar that's been used since 1965 and it is recorded every album Queen have ever done. Album, you know, the, the couple of solo albums that Brian May has done. There is one other song in the world that I know of, electric-wise, that wasn't played in Queen's back catalogue, and that is on Crazy Little Thing Called Love, where he uh, used a Telecaster to get that real, like, again, that real early days American 50s, rock and roller sound but other than that other than that song anything electric was with the red special and is absolutely fucking awesome i mean like i say i mean this is it the sounds the sounds he could do is just unbelievable um there's a there's a song called uh, lazing on a sunny afternoon lazing on a sun sun sunday afternoon lazing on a sunday afternoon that's the one and there's almost like there's like sounds like all these like crazy different sounds are played on that guitar. I think at one point there's one. Am well, I thinking of Good Company? I might be thinking of Good Company. And be Good Company. Yes, in be. It sounds like there's a tr they're using trombones for fuck's sake, and they're not. It's just the way Brian May was playing these notes on the guitar. It's it's unstoppable. It's ba it's, it's unthinkable. It's just unthinkable that these things can be done on guitar. Anyone who thinks I might be bullshitting or whatever, fine. I would say if you have no Queen albums at all in your house, none at all, if you and you're like, well, I'll buy one, but I don't want to buy all of them. This is the one to buy. This is the one to buy. A Night at the Opera. I'll talk about it later in depth when I go through all their albums. I'm probably not going to do that on this one podcast because this is already 
this is already ticking on a bit. Uh, so I might save it for the next Queen podcast where I'll review every album they've done. Uh, but yeah, yeah, A Night at the Opera. That is the album to buy because you on on some of the on some of those songs you will hear some crazy sounds, and I would be there to bear in mind that there are no use of any keyboards or synthesizers in the production of that album. So if there's a sound there and it's crazy, it's on Brian May's guitar. And uh, I mean, in terms of uh, lyrics, well, basically, him and Freddie Mercury shared the bulk of the lyrics for every other Queen song uh, there is. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a shitload. I'm not, I'm not going to read them out. I'm not going to read them out. There is a shitload on here. Um, oh, here we go. I, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give. Here's a good one. Uh, put out the fire, a very heavy sort of like rock sound again, and that was off the Hot Space album, which was the, uh, I suppose you would say the Shitter album. That's a, I love that song, love that song. Machines and Back to Humans, what album's that? I'll have to double check that one, but uh, Hammer to Fall. Oh, here's one. I think this is the one song he collaborated with Freddie Mercury, as in just them two. Uh, I'll explain the other two, the the last, well, the last three studio albums. I'll explain them at a later date. But yeah, there's a song called um, Where Are You? I was looking at it. Here we go. World we cre- is this the world we created? And yeah, I remember there was an interview someone did with Freddie Mercury because that came off uh, the album The Works. And she said, I understand on this song you and you and Brian, Brian um. Uh, co-wrote a song and Freddie Mercury said yeah there should be an eclipse and it's true because they didn't really again they shared I'll say those two shared the the bulk of all of the um, all of the stuff Brian May definitely I would say was wrote a lot of the heavier stuff oh awesome tune up here on uh, Tie Your Mother Down that's a good tune if you haven't yeah that's a good one uh, now I'm here yeah, I'm just reading through now some of the ones that I know that he's done. 39, that's a good song. Um, the Night Comes Down, good song. Keep Yourself Alive, I love that song. That's a brilliant song. We Will Rock You, now come on. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> Back of the net, We Will Rock You. Uh, all Dead, All Dead. Oh, Sorry, I've got this great big beaming smile on my face now. I should have... I'll say, I would have recorded all of this on um, YouTube if I bloody well could have done. Uh, but I couldn't. Who Wants to Live Forever? Oh, that is a... That that song is beautiful in every way, shape or form. Uh, Give Me the Prize. That's a that's a good one. That's a heavy... That's also called the Kurgan's theme. If anyone has seen uh, the film Highlander, uh, Queen done the soundtrack for that. The uh, the album uh, a night uh, a kind of magic that's essentially the unofficial uh, soundtrack to um, Highlander. It's getting late. Yeah, but yeah, but there you go. That's that's there's Brian May. What can I say? And singing singing wise, he car- he carried what what you'd say is the mid mid and the lower range, more the lower range. Again though, still he he has a, he has a good voice for rock. Definitely a good voice for rock. Again, it's it's more that mid-ranged um, 
than uh, obviously obviously Roger Taylor's like otherworldly high high pitched and uh, Mercury well fucking hell we're talking about voices Jesus well we'll talk about that in a moment but yeah that for now that's what I've got on Brian uh, any more info or if I I, I might, you know, I might well, <laughs> my brain might well shift from side to side. If you haven't guessed, I am a really big fucking Queen fan. And I do tend to get quite carried away when I'm talking about them. Uh, last things I have, don't think I have touched on as of yet, is uh, Brian May's uh, setup, his guitar setup. Obviously, I've mentioned, you know, he, there's, the, there's, the, <laughs> there's the fucking homemade guitar. There was uh, the use of the Deke amp to get the uh, orchestral uh, sounds just from the guitar. Um, his main amp of choice was an AC Vox 30, which was con- basically it's considered one of the loudest uh, amps on earth, definitely at the time. And he uh, played it through a treble booster, which gave it uh, its uh, distortion, its main kick up the arse. So yeah, that's Brian May. Um, yeah. Uh, and last but definitely not least is the uh, the man himself, Mr. Freddie Mercury. He was born in Zanzibar. Um, his birth name was Farouk Bulsara. He went to an like an English-speaking school, and uh, Farouk was it's, it, Farouk's basically the Freddie is pretty much the English translation or the English version of Farouk. Uh, kept the surname Bulsara. As I did touch on earlier, up until when Queen was starting to form, he uh, changed his name to Mercury. Um, and there we are. Freddie Mercury was born. The the man, the myth, the legend. Um, the naturally gifted pianist. Uh, the uh, best. Now, the, the, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say Freddie Mercury was the best singer in the world ever. <laughs> I think that's a pretty... I'd say that's a fair statement. Uh, or, or put it this way then, if someone wants to argue the toss, let's say he was the best male singer of all time ever. Because that, that, be, that cannot be argued. In my opinion, it just so happens to be the truth. <laughs> he can't be matched. Here is a man with no vocal training at all. Any music training of any sort. And he had a natural four-octave vocal range. Now, what is an octave? For any of the non-musicians listening, an octave is essentially the pitch of a note. When we say pitch, higher or lower. So I touched on earlier how Roger Taylor's got that real uh, high-pitched singing voice. Uh, Brian May, sort of like mid-low level. And uh, then you've got Freddie Mercury, whose vocal range covered four separate octaves and that is well, I don't I don't need to tell you that's a big slip just listen to Freddie Mercury sing says it all doesn't it and uh, the funny thing is uh, he was very subconscious obviously about uh, his teeth because he, uh, he had four extra four of his teeth were larger uh, than you know is normal and I think actually come to that I think he had four extra uh, types of teeth and different I tell you what, here we go. We could ask Roger Taylor. He was going to be a dentist, weren't he? <laughs> but um, and he reckoned. I mean, as sub as, as self-conscious of his teeth as he were as he was, he thinks it did help his um his singing voice. So you know, every cloud, 
and Rick Allen has a silver, silver lining. Yeah, um, the bands he's been in, uh, irregardless of a very gifted pianist he was, he never owned a piano. Uh, they could never fit one in the house with his parents. I think in the school he went to, there was a piano there, and he was just recreating all the all the rock and roll songs that they were hearing at the time. Um, the piano was it was big. It was used big in rock and roll. I mean, a, a prime example of that would be Little Richard, wouldn't it? You know, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, another one. So there was a the piano was used during the early days of rock and roll, and it was kept through many many of Queen's albums. Definitely the early the early starting albums. Um, again, probably I'd say probably round to the game. Maybe the game was a bit of a changer for them because they started using synthesizers. But uh, still, still an awesome pianist. Again, for someone with no, with no training, uh, yeah, phenomenal. And they're just little intricate things that he would do on the piano. If you see him, see him, watch footage of them live. The way that he, his hands cross over when he plays um, Bohemian Rhapsody. So you know the one hand is on like the lower or the bass notes of the um, uh, piano, and the other hand is like higher up to the higher end. And then when he comes in the middle, the dun da 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 da, he crosses hand. He would cross his hand over the other one to get those two high sounding notes. It was just another way that uh, he was able to sell the show visually, as as well as musically. Um. And I thought I think that was the selling point for Brian and Roger when he said he'd, uh, you know, step in over as a lead vocalist for them, because the way he could carry a stage, again, I mean, obviously, like I say, I was far too young to go to any of the live gigs, but the footage you see, um, if anyone sees the footage of a Live Aid in 1985, I mean, everyone says it, everyone says it, you know, Freddie Mercury, he, he's 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 been uh, advertised as the man who stole Live Aid. You know, obviously anyone who's not in the know-how, Queen weren't even billed to be on Live Aid. They weren't in, you know, they weren't in the original billing at all. They were they came in at the last minute after a lot of pestering from uh, Bob Geldof, I do believe. And uh they'd not long come back from uh, some solo work that they'd done. And uh yeah, they just uh, the works had been released and uh yeah, it was a I suppose it comes to the point was it was a it was a live way of uh, selling, you know, off a couple of out you know off a fresh new album, and uh, and yeah, he's uh, just the the the, the I'm going to say this quite a lot because you know I am such a big fan. He is just the greatest singer in the world ever. Um, you know, he could sing he could he could sing you your shopping list, you know. And uh, you know we can touch, like I say, he done most of the um, most of the lyrics for the songs uh, were written by himself and uh, Brian May, and uh, he wrote Seven Seas of Rye, which um, there was two versions of that actually. There was a version of the first album, their debut album, Queen, and it was also a, like a more like um, then there was the proper version of Seven Seas of Rye, which was on the second album, and uh, yeah, you just. You, you re- see that was when the Queen's sound well to be fair they say the first time the Queen's sound was heard and that is you know 
the vocals, the uh, you know the the layered guitars uh, was the um, uh, I know it. Hang about, hang about it. Killer Queen, Killer Queen. They they reckon that that was that apparently the you know the you know you you look through the you know the histories and all the documentaries and that and people do say that um, Killer Queen was the first song where Queen actually got noticed you know by the musical press and um, well like Top of the Pops and what have you. See, Queen got a lot of shit uh, from the musical press because they couldn't pigeonhole the band. They weren't um, as heavy as Sabbath. They weren't like as folk styled, if you like, as uh, Zeppelin. They weren't like what you'd call entirely a prog rock band. They weren't entirely what you'd call a glam rock band. They try and sell them as a glam rock band for their image, but it didn't all work. And that's why the music press gave them a lot of shit for a long time, because they couldn't like think they couldn't. They couldn't put them in a category, like you know, 100%. But uh, not the point. Moving on, uh, go through some more of their um, uh, more of the songs that uh, Freddie wrote. Cool. Let me know. There's so many. Um, <laughs> uh, Nevermore. Again, some of these some of these songs I'll mention you probably haven't heard of. If all you've got is like Queen's greatest hits at home, you wouldn't have heard of these songs more than likely. But yeah, Nevermore, that's a really beautiful song. A lot of piano work in it as well. Uh, the March of the Black Queen, that's good. That's really good, that one. Uh, Lily of the Valley, In the Lap of the Gods, ah, that's a beautiful song. That is a beautiful song. Uh, De- Death on Two Legs. Now, that is the debut, that's the, the debut, the first track of um, A Night at the Opera, the album I was uh, banging on about earlier, and quite rightly so. And that's actually on the thing. It's death on two legs, and then in brackets, dedicated to. And it's actually dedicated to the first um, company they signed with. Their first three albums, a company called Trident, who are basically, but they basically they just screwed them over financially. They completely screwed them over. And uh, there's a re- there's a couple of um, I mean the, the the you listen to that song, you can hear him like venomous biting at them. You were. Uh, you suck my blood like a leech. <laughs> There's a line of it. Um, but now you can kiss my ass goodbye. <laughs> Brilliant. It, it's a it's a real like punch in the face song. Uh, Seaside Rendezvous. That's a good one. Uh, Love of my life. And that's a that's a big one. That's, you see their live shows. Uh, that is a big one. And uh, a lot of the time the audience will sing along to. I mean, this is what I mean about control. He he would just sort of like, like conduct the audience because he you know the, the audience took over the vocals, and um, it was awesome. And of, and of course here it is, Bohemian Rhapsody did come off that album. Now, as I mean, I mean that could easily be voted the greatest song ever written, every year, um, easily, and. Uh, yeah, no, I was like, no one quite knew where he was going with it. The rest of the band weren't sure what he was working on. Um, uh, the uh, again, and the, the the music company at the time, they were like, you can't release this as a single. It's like five minutes fifty nine seconds long. It's twice the length of any song that was going on. Nearly three times the length. Some some songs were released weren't much more than two minutes long at that time. 
but I mean, yeah, I'll say it was at least double the the length of any song that was going out, and they were just like, you know, radio stations aren't going to touch this. As it goes, there was a guy called Kenny Everett who they knew was like a friend of theirs, and uh, he uh, got a, a copy of it, and the and the the understanding was that it wasn't to be uh, played uh, too much. And he, uh, I think, I think he, <laughs> it was every other, every other song he was playing on his radio that day. He played Bohemian Rhapsody, and everyone knows what happened with that. Bohemian Rhapsody just took, it took the world by storm. And uh, I mean, if Queen weren't well known enough before that, that definitely were well known then. Uh, so okay, you take my breath away. That's a good song. Um, and of course, what a lot of people would consider. Son of Bohemian Rhapsody, who came off the next album, A Day at the Races, is a song, of course, called Somebody to Love. And again, the um, the ah, oh, it's the vocals, isn't it? Jesus. Uh, and I mean, when you get like the sort of um, gospel type singing, along with that, that's Brian, Roger, and Freddie. And uh, what they would, ugh, excuse I, they just they record the note. The lines that are being sung, and bring them in, and then they all get sung together, and you'd get that beautiful, loud. That's the thing as well about Queen's vocal loud sound in the voice, and it's uh, just amazing. Uh, good old-fashioned lover boy, another one of his. Uh, my my melancholy blues. Oh, I like that song. We are the champions. That was Freddie's. Uh, Mustafa, that's a good song. That's the that's the first song of that uh, album, Jazz. Uh, Bicycle Race, that was one of Freddie's. Of course, that that is infamous. The infamous video uh, for um <laughs> for Bicycle Race. Uh, they got a bunch of naked girls <laughs> cycling around Wembley Stadium. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> Just brilliant. And it was the sort of thing that you know he would have done. Uh, yeah, don't stop me now. I love that song. As a real, real kicker, that song. Um, yeah. Well, what else got here? Red Rose, Princess of the Universe. I would say that's the other like real heavy. That's like the main. Oh, that's the opening theme song for um, Highlander. And again, that's a real kicker of a song. A real kicker of a song. Um, uh, quickly touching on solo work. Uh, obviously, Freddie Mercury had a lot... Again, I think him and John Deacon were similar in the sense that they both were more more pop-based uh, in their uh, solo work. But that said, that said, if you listen to one of Freddie Mercury's solo songs called In My Defence, oh, gee, when he kicks the chorus of that, it is you are you are like shit the bed because the roar he has is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I mean, I don't care how much hate anyone would have for him, for whatever reason, you can not deny the man's voice or or his work ethics. And I'm going to push on this a bit more now because we're going to start talking about the more um the more tragic side. Of, uh, of Freddie Mercury's life, this is of course when he um, when he had realised that he had uh, contracted AIDS. Um, he had a he had a word with the band. I think this was I'm not sure if this was just before 
the um, the, the final tour, the uh, the kind of magic tour, or if it was just after. I can't because I can't fully 100% remember. I'm not going to tell you because you know I, I don't want to give out false information. But essentially, he, he pulled the band to one side because uh, people had started no started noticing like little changes in him, like he didn't have enough energy as he normally had. Th- you know, little things like that, and of course the press, you know, they'd um, they 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 would find like even the slightest chink in anyone's armor, uh, and they would like be like snapping at it like a little fucking Jack Russell or something. And um, yeah, he called him. He had the band to one side. He said, "This is the situation. Uh, this is like you know, not not going to be able to go on the big tours because he he knew that physically he wouldn't have the energy, which is a big shame because um." I I lift weights. I keep fit. I'm a big I'm a big advocate for fitness. I always have been. I think my first main two uh, people I think that jumped out at me in the terms of physicality and made me want to pump iron, if you like, would be uh, Bruce Lee. So if you all joking aside, if you look at his physique, I mean Bruce Lee was ripped, but he was also beefed as well. And, uh, of course, the step over that one, you know, say being you know, the, the time when I was growing up and that, you know, throughout the 80s, living off um, action films, would, of course, was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, if you, if anyone listening in works out, then you can appreciate the effort someone puts in to getting themselves in a physically, you know, impressive state. And I've got you've got to give Freddie Mercury credit, again, because he was... I mean, he wasn't big, he wasn't massive, and he wasn't ripped like uh, Bruce Lee was ripped, but he had a good build uh, to him. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're not talking sexuality here, you know, but nevertheless, you know, I don't don't care if you're gay or if you're straight. Freddie Mercury had a good build. And, uh, yeah, he did. And uh, But, of course, he he did lose. He knew that he wasn't going to have the strength. He knew the strength wasn't going to be there for him to do what he done on live shows. I mean, you look at a live show. Freddie Mercury doesn't stand still. He's always he was. If it's a slower song, maybe he's walking up and down. If it's a song where he sat down on the piano for a while, we'll be on doing like bits on the piano, and then he'll be coming up and be marching up and down the stage. I mean, he owned it. He owned every. You know, you put him on a stage and he owned it. It was just as simple as that. But, of course, he knew he wouldn't be able to carry on doing it. Uh, I've heard this quote twice from Brian May. Uh, again, different documentaries. Um, he said to the band he just wanted to carry on mu- making music till he fucking well died. And that is essentially what happened. Uh, as I was saying earlier about um, the last three studio albums that uh, Freddie Mercury had a hand in, that would have been The Miracle and Innuendo, which were both... You know, which, you know I mean, he was... He was a he was alive for all of them, all of those songs, 100%. Freddie Mercury was there for that. The um, I think the last uh, debut, the last debut, <laughs> the last debut, the last first one, uh, the last studio album that Queen ever done, which had help or had you know footage or um you know or usage of like uh, Freddie Mercury and stuff was made in heaven. And a lot of that, that was a bunch of songs that uh, some of them had been done, they'd just not been released. Others had were halfway done, 
So they had like XYZ amount of material of Freddie on the vocals, but they weren't entirely finished. Um, those what they done with those with the uh, with the lyrics, uh, because again because I think well obviously because Freddie knew he wasn't going to be there to uh, see 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 the last of it. I think he was he was taking each album at a time. He probably didn't. I mean, maybe he didn't think he'd be there to do all of the miracle, let alone all of the miracle innuendo and even like half of the footage for a um, half the material for a third album. So they uh, they decided to um, share the lyrics on each individual song. That's why I can't hand on heart say who wrote this song off uh, the miracle album. This song off Innuendo, uh, or this song off uh, Made in Heaven album, because they did. They decided to share the royalties of all the music. Um, Freddie Mercury's word, uh, last words with his management and what have you, was, uh, "You can do what you want with my music, but never make me boring," which um, is a uh, is a beautiful, the beautiful thought. And uh, outside of Queen. Um, this 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 album was uh, I want to say eighty seven, but I think it was released in eighty eight. This is the famous Barcelona album, and this album really. I mean, again, you talk you talk about vocals. You know, you got the biggest rock singer in the world, uh, duetting up with one of the biggest opera singers in the world, and again on paper. It, people probably didn't think it would work. I mean, I don't even think there was many female-fronted rock bands or metal bands. I mean, it's quite a common feature nowadays, but back in like the late 80s, maybe not as much. So, uh, yeah, du- um, yeah, the, 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 duet, the, the combining of them two uh, vocally, pe- on paper, people pro- probably thought it wouldn't have worked, but... I think that album, if that album isn't given the credit it deserves, that is a crying fucking shame because it is phenomenal. I'll go back to Freddie's physicality quickly. He'd actually, at the start of that, he'd actually put on a bit of weight. You could see, like, he was like, his face had filled out a bit. Um, He didn't have the moustache at this point. Uh, And uh, you, you could just see that. To the the look of him, it looked like he had you know, you know put in a little bit, put on a little bit of excess weight, and uh, in the video for Barcelona, it was done. I say you could st- you could still it still looked like there was a little bit more weight there than normal, but then there was a live uh, appearance they done uh, later. I mean, this is how you know if things weren't what they should be with Freddie Mercury because. The music was in the background, and they were dubbing over it. I don't know if it, I don't know if there was like singing done, but it wasn't mic'd up, or if it was just Freddie Mercury dubbing over it. I mean, he was still throwing some of the classic, you know, Freddie Mercury uh, shapes, you know, hands out to the side, like punching with lyrics. But in that, I mean, I mean that I think that was a year after the original. Uh, video for Barcelona but in that alone you could see some of the weight some of the weight was dropping off him uh, for want of a better word Uh, I mean it's that's what it was but um, yeah start tearing up in a minute Um, 
As I say, in terms of work ethic, another reason why you can't fault him is that when he said, I want to carry on this community until I fucking well die, that is literally what he did. And there were days when he came in and, you know, the band knew, well, maybe we've got like an hour or an hour or two out of uh, Freddie's, you know, vocals today and then we'll call it a day. Again, something else that uh, I remember Brian May was saying after um one of uh, one of the one of the another common thing was he'd be um taking a you know if he was feeling a bit weak he'd take a shot of vodka and then punch out songs. Um, I do believe the show must go on when that was presented to him. Again, took a shot of vodka and killed it in one take. Now, if anyone's heard the show must go on, I mean, you listen to that album. And you know nothing about Freddie Mercury. You've not seen pictures of him in the news. You've not heard any rumours that he might be ill. You would not think he was ill at all. Because that voice didn't change. His voice never changed. I don't think there is a song I have heard Freddie Mercury sing where his voice has sounded weak. Not at all. Uh, The last song that he ever put any um, input into was a song called Mother Love and that was uh, again that's off the Made in Heaven album and uh, again I mean he wrote they were halfway through doing that song he said to the the guys in that he said uh, he said look I haven't got any more today Uh, I'll go away and we'll uh, we'll finish it off tomorrow and he went away and uh, yeah tragically that was the day that he died uh, so that album, that album never got finished off. If you listen to it, the last verse of that album is sung by Brian May, and not by Freddie. But uh, I think I can even, if top of my hat, I remember the time. It's, excuse me, it's about two. It's two minutes. I want to say two minutes twenty-one seconds, but I might be wrong. But I know it's about two minutes. But I know there's a a line throughout that song which he. You get a proper old school Freddie Mercury oh, roar from it. I want to say roar. It's not really a roar. He never he never really roared, but he had easily the most powerful voice in the world. So that's what I well I'm I like powerful singers. I mean I touched on it briefly when I, I mean when I was talking about the Dubliners about how much how much of a powerful singer uh, Luke Kelly was. And he was. And Freddie Mercury was like, you know, he had a, there was enough power in his voice to fucking generate all the electricity you needed to keep the lights in Wembley Stadium running. Uh, yeah, I think so. And again, the way that power, the way it, the way it merged in so well with the Barcelona album. Uh, because, I mean, you, you basically, you had two really fucking powerful singers. Um. So yeah, that's uh, and I say uh, for, I'll I'll point on it quickly for a minute for a man who wasn't he wasn't much of a guitarist of course, but he took the lead with well, well he didn't play the solo but he jammed along very well I thought with uh with Brian May on a crazy little thing called Love. Um. Yeah, he he was just he was just phenomenal. He was just absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, I mean the um, and the the strength he had in himself to carry on singing 
while he was dying. I mean, there's no, there's, there's no two, there's no point fucking mincing words with this. He was dying, you know, and he still would go. I mean, he didn't have any, he didn't. It's not like he was even recording it from home. He would go to the studio, punt, give them everything he had. So this is what another. I mean, this is why a lot of Queen fans are as you know passionate <laughs> as we are as fans. It's because Freddie Mercury gave the world musically every single thing he had, every ounce of energy. And in the last video, the last music video Queen ever did with Freddie was uh, These Are The Days Of Our Lives. And I mean, there, there was a video off um, the Innuendo album called uh, da, 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 I'm Going Slightly Mad. And with that, he was all in, I mean, he had, he was makeup and he had this crazy wig on. And it, wa- it wasn't as easy to notice. I mean, you'd say, he, he looks nothing like himself there. But of course, he, you know, he's a, a big bloody wig and makeup and everything. And you wouldn't have clocked it. But one of the, the uh, beautiful things about these are the days of our lives is it's all, it's all raw there. It's all stripped off. He's not hiding anything. He's not bunched up with makeup. Uh, the black and white video. Um, I don't know. They probably put, they probably put like makeup on maybe to cover, like um, blotches or whatever on the skin. But I mean, and you could see the the the, the shirt he was wearing was hanging off him. I mean, you could see underneath, he was basically a skeleton of the man that he was. And uh, yeah, the the very the very last lines of that song. Uh, they're not even, they're more spoken than sung. He looks up uh, to the camera, and is and the last words he says is uh, "I still love you." And uh, as a fan, as a as a fan, well, not just me. I think all of all of us as fans, we thought that we felt we like to think that's like a little message uh, from Freddie Mercury to the fans uh, saying like um, uh, well you know I, I still love you and uh, so he's still he's still putting out the music he's still willing to give everything he had uh, for what he'd done I mean obviously the amount of people that probably would have said you know oh we've, you know he's dying he should be home he should be resting um, the more he rests maybe the longer he'll the longer he'll live he could get maybe a couple more months if he would just, you know, conserve his energy for resting up. But that <laughs> that wasn't what Freddie wanted. He wanted to put in absolutely everything into the music. And as I say, I think if nothing else, if if no one's got any, I mean, even if you, even if you don't like Queen's music, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But, um... If you're a hard worker, let's put it that way then. Let's just say you're a hard worker. You know, there is a man that needs, or doesn't need it, deserves it, has earned it. If nothing else, he has earned the respect of every hardworking person in the world because he was willing to carry on his trade until he died. Um... <laughs> I fought back the tears. I thought I might have choked up a bit, but um, no, I've managed to fight back the tears. 
I think this is why, again, all the credit in the world to um, Brian May and Roger Taylor. Uh, they are car they are carrying on the name Queen. Uh, but they, uh, I think it's very respectful from them that they have used Queen plus Adam Lambert, Queen plus uh, Paul Rogers when they worked with him. It's because they're known. They're not. They're not saying that um, this is the new Queen. This is, you know, this this is. They're saying this is what Queen have got left. Plus this person singing along. Because uh, I mean, I mean, he's he's irreplaceable. Freddie Mercury is absolutely irreplaceable. Um, musically, what would the what would the world would have the world would have just been so fucking different uh, if it hadn't had Freddie Mercury. I strongly, strongly believe that. And uh, yeah, it's just everything everything he's given uh, musically. And as I say, uh, if maybe if I was if I was ten years older, I'd you know I'd if I'd have been if I if I was a teenager in '86, uh, I'd have begged, borrowed, and stilled to have uh, gone to see um, Queen play in uh, anyway in, in in any of the gigs they done uh, during the uh, last tour of '86 because obviously it was the it was the final tour. But um, I think I've uh, well I've banged on now. I've banged on enough. <laughs> this has gone on. It's gone on for a wee while, actually. I wasn't quite sure how long it would, but um, I've tucked over an hour. I think if if this was an interview, if this was me having a chat with another Queen fan, this would go on a long fucking time. But um, as it's just me giving out like the bits of information that I uh, that I know off the top of my head, I've probably missed a few things in some of the books that I've got on Queen. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm going to give you. That's all. That's what I'm going to give you. That's what I'm gonna give you for now in terms of uh, Queen. That's how they were formed. That's how. That's a bit of back history about the members. Um, oh yeah, I'm not sure if I mentioned it or not, but when when Freddie Mercury was at uh, the um, Ealing Art College with um, Tim Staffel, he studied graphics and design, um, and he came. He actually came up with the uh, the Queen logo, like the crest. You know, the two lions. Around the crown, the fairies underneath, uh, uh, the crab at the top, and the uh, the big feet and the phoenix, like above all of it, and uh, yeah, I've got that. I I have that tattooed on my um da -da 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 -da, my right on my back. On my, it's on my right shoulder blade. Uh, I was gonna get a larger version, maybe the, a full back piece, but I thought if I'd done that, I wanted I wanted more space for more ink. You know, because I, I, I know there's going to be another Queen tattoo on me at some point. It's inevitable. Maybe I'll get the uh, that iconic image uh, from the Bohemian Rhapsody video of the four faces. But, you know, that's a <laughs> that's a lot of fucking shade. That's going to tingle. Uh, but um, I dare say at some point there'll be something Queen-related inked on me again. Uh, for now, that's, that's the one that I've got. Right, okay, that's it. I'm gonna call it a day now. I do hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, if you did, if you're a big, if you're a Queen fan and you didn't know what you've heard now, I'm glad you've learnt some new knowledge. If you did know it though, and you've just been smiling and nodding along, I mean that's what I do. If when I, I mean because there's so many documentaries I've watched on Queen, and quite often you do get told the same thing again. 
and it's hearing the same story and you just smile or cry or <laughs> whatever because it's like, yeah, that's that's the band they were. That is the band they were. If you found out anything you didn't know, like about the Deaky Amp or the posh term for Roger Taylor's high-pitched singing, uh, Freddie Mercury's octave range. Oh, I, I don't know. If, did I mention music notes? Right, I'll mention octaves quickly just in case anyone missed it. Musical, the musical scale is made up of notes. It runs from note A all the way to notes G sharp. Right? Why does it not go to Z? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. But when it reaches G sharp and it goes to A again, you get a higher version of that A. So you'd be maybe go from, uh, oh, this will sound rubbish, A, A, you know, A. It's. <laughs> it's those different uh, heights or depths of the note and that's what an octave is so yeah his, his vocal range basically you could have four different pitches of the note and uh, yeah yeah, I wanted to point that across um, so yeah there we go that is it though I am now calling it a day I do hope you have enjoyed listening to all of this as I said the next podcast might well be uh, review of all of Queen's albums. I'm not going to put a time limit on it because originally I wanted to put this out on Monday, but my wife and well the kids were kicking up a stink, and uh, then Tuesday I was working, and then uh, Wednesday I had a bit of a lazy day if I'm perfectly honest. And uh, but today's my wife's birthday, so if uh, if she's listening or if she's not, happy birthday, darling. And uh, yeah, like I say, that is it for now. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. The second one will probably be Queen-based and it will be a review of the albums. I won't give you a date on the release of that one yet because there's a strong chance it will be delayed. Uh, But uh, feel free to check out the um, Facebook page, The Savage Southerner. Uh, Any new updates are often on there or maybe dribs and drabs on YouTube. But uh, yeah, most of the updates will be on the Facebook page. So uh, for now, I do hope you've enjoyed yourselves and I will talk to you again. Ta-da.